0: John chapter 19, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst in a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, meet us in your word. Meet us in this time as we reflect on your great sacrifice on our behalf. May we look with wonder at the cross. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Many of you know that uh, over the past few years, uh, I've been teaching um, a world religions class at uh, a couple of different universities. And uh, every every year, every semester, uh, about halfway through the semester, sometimes towards the end of the semester, I have a student that approaches me who wants to ask a question but doesn't quite know how to ask the question. And usually, I try to let them know that it's okay to ask the question. And they say very simply, "How do you pick? How do you know out of all of these great religions which one to pick and to center your life around?" And I see this often as a great opportunity to share a little bit about my story and where I've placed my faith. And what I often say to them is, well, I've chosen to believe the Christian story, and I believe that it is the truest of all stories. And they look at me and they say, why? How do you know? Out of all the great religions, why this one? And I said, Christianity alone talks about a Savior, a God, who came in flesh to dwell among His people who allowed himself to be be arrested, to be beaten, mocked, and executed, and rose from the dead on the third day. Christianity alone has the uniqueness of any story that is out there, and because of that, it is the truest of all stories and the most powerful of all stories. And it is that story that we most intensely recognize this unique weekend of the year. I have to confess that I also am a bundle of contradictions when it comes to life. Uh, Sometimes I say one thing and then I do another thing. Sometimes I feel one way about a certain topic and then by the end of the day I think very differently about the topic. My wife could probably give you a whole list of all the contradictions uh, that are true about my life, but I'm willing to bet that I'm not all that different than you are. In fact, the reason so much of us are contradictory so much of the time is because essentially we're pretty mysterious figures, and it's hard to figure each other out from some time. And when we look at the crucifixion, sometimes we feel like we are left with many contradictions. At least culturally, when we look at the cross, we see lots of things that feel like they are opposites. But one of the things that the scriptures are very clear about is with God, there is no contradiction. And instead, the the strands of his character weave together in a perfect and beautiful coherence, and all of them become one in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we look at the cross, we're confronted with some very seemingly unlike or unusual marriages of several different things, and they especially emerge from the Good Friday story. And, and the first seemingly unusual marriage that we see in the cross is the marriage of the wrath of God and the love of God all at once. Sean could tell this story a, a lot better than I could, but there's a song that we sing from time to time here at City Church called Before the Throne of God Above. And when that song was originally written, there was a line in that song uh, that says something along the lines of the wrath of God being satisfied in the cross of Jesus Christ. And over the years, as people kept singing that song, they had a hard time with that line. They said, well, should we really talk about the wrath of God? That feels like a, a really big word. At least culturally, it feels kind of oppressive. So what they did is they changed the lyric. And instead, a lot of places you'll go, you'll sing that song, and you'll hear instead the love of God was satisfied. See, culturally, wouldn't we much rather talk about a God of love rather than a God of wrath? But one really smart theologian looked at this and said, really, it is both at the same time. In fact, one week we should sing the song and say the wrath of God was satisfied, and then the next week we should sing the song all over again and instead say the love of God was satisfied because the cross of Jesus Christ represents both. For us only to believe or to present a wrathful God is a distortion of the Christian story. And for us to only present a loving God is also a distortion of the Christian story because the Christian story tells us that the cross means both. It means both. It tells us that God's wrath had to be satisfied, that that he was a just God who had to punish sin. For him not to punish sin, for him just to overlook it or, or to sweep it under the rug as if it didn't happen would be to betray his own character, to betray the character of God. But instead, one commentator said this, the only path to save others was to refuse to save himself. And so what the cross tells us is that the love of God motivated him to send his son. To send his son who would bear the full wrath and justice of God. And what the gospel tells us is that Christ drank the full cup of the wrath of God at the cross. And he did it because of love. As the kids' story said that we just read, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was love. Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, enduring the wrath of God so that he could establish a loving relationship with you and I. Wrath and love married together at the cross of Christ. The second seemingly unusual or seemingly seemingly unlikely marriage that we see at the cross is the marriage of sacrifice and victory. You see, Christ sacrificed himself. He willingly allowed himself to be shackled, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be stripped of his clothes, and eventually to be executed on a cross. Just hours before all that, he reminded his apostle Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane that this was the will of God. It was the will of God that he should suffer. At any point, Christ could have called down a legion of angels who would have come to his aid, but he didn't. He didn't. Rather than show a bold show of strength, instead, in weakness, he sacrificed himself. He would be a lamb that was led to its slaughter. He would become the perfect substitute. In love, he would offer his life for his chosen. But we can't make the mistake of thinking that that sacrifice was a defeat. Instead, it was a great victory. All throughout the the Passion narrative, we see lots of demonstrations of power. We see the Jews who had conspired and arrested Jesus, and, and they tried to wield whatever power they had to bring Jesus to his end. The Romans demonstrated their power throughout the Passion narrative. In fact, they were the most powerful empire in the ancient world. And this this process of crucifixion was meant to demonstrate their own power and their own authority. In fact, crucifixion, many historians have come to the conclusion, was the most brutal way to execute a criminal ever devised. And it was created to send a message, do not defy the power of the Roman Empire. But spiritually, even even in the spiritual realm, this may have appeared to be a defeat as well. Had Satan and, and the darkness finally won? Had the grip of sin really won at the end of the day? Had all these years of miracles and teachings and followings, had they all been wasted now that Christ had died? Had the Jews, had the Romans, had the forces of darkness, had they all won because Jesus now lays in a tomb. But what most did not understand, especially that day, what most did not understand is that that sacrifice was in and of itself the victory. It was the victory against the power of sin and death. The power of sin and death had been broken. See Jesus' greatest victory was not against the Jews, it was not against the Romans, it was against the power of sin and its dominion and reach and oppression in each and every one of our lives. See on that Friday victory was declared in weakness and in sacrifice. On that Friday victory was declared over sin. And just days later on Sunday, victory would be declared over death itself. Wrath and love, sacrifice and victory, all of these strands of God's beautiful character reached their climax in the cross of Jesus Christ. So what should our response be? As we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, how ought we to respond to this incredible show of sacrifice and victory and love, even wrath? How ought we respond? Well, the gospel calls us to respond in faith, to place our trust not on ourselves and our own ability to reach heaven, to obtain salvation, but instead put our trust in a Savior who gave himself for you and for me. And this story also calls us to do one other thing. It calls us to wonder. It calls us to stand in awe at the cross of Christ, to recognize both his wrath and his love, his sacrifice and his victory, and allow the power of the gospel to change every element of our lives. Let's pray.